0: I'm Franco Terrazano. And I'm Chris Sims. And this is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast, where we're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more government accountability. You know, we've all heard the saying, Netflix and chill. But in Deep Dive, our federal director, Aaron Woodrick, is going to be talking about Netflix and Bill. And in Waste Watch, we just found out Megan and Harry's security costs were tens of thousands of dollars more than what was originally made public. But first, let's check in with our BC director, Chris Sims. Simmer? What do you got for us today?
1: Well, buckle up, my friend. Vancouver wants to make it even more expensive for us to drive out here. Uh, Bureaucrats at Vancouver City Hall want to nuke drivers with brand new driving taxes. They actually wrote a 371-page report about their vision for the future of Vancouver. And buried deep inside there is the fact that they want to create a huge toll wall around the city's downtown core. For people who are familiar with Vancouver, it would stretch from Clark, as you're driving along Hastings there, all the way out to Burrard. And the only way in or out is by paying street tolls. Now, they won't fess up and tell us how much they're actually going to be charging you to get in and out. But on page 65 of the report, we found that they're expecting to haul in, quote, tens of millions of dollars per year or more from this plan.
0: Wow. You know, I actually don't think I could think of a worse possible time for city bureaucrats to be dreaming up new ways to be reaching further into taxpayers' pockets.
1: Yeah, no kidding. It's really bad out here. Uh, I know it's really bad everywhere across Canada. Just think of being that takeout restaurant, that small business inside the core, and now when you need to send out a delivery... It's an extra 10 bucks or 15 bucks just to get in or out. It's crazy. And you know what the worst part is about this whole money grab? These taxes, these new tolls would actually be on already existing streets. Some of these streets have existed since they first started cutting down the trees to make them when they first founded the city of Vancouver. It's not like these tolls would be helping to pay for new bridges or roads.
0: You're saying these tolls are for old and already existing roads? Yeah. Well, excuse my language here, but what the hell are we paying taxes for then? You know, why are taxpayers paying property taxes and gas taxes if the city's just going to turn around and slap drivers with tolls? You know, maybe if Vancouver City Hall wasn't blowing so much money on fancy office furniture, it would have some more money for transit.
1: Exactly, and for our listeners that didn't catch that on office furniture, it's true. In the middle of the pandemic, after they cried broke, Vancouver City Hall blew more than three hundred thousand dollars on luxury office furniture, and they spared no expense of taxpayers' money. They actually bought Herman Miller chairs. Those are the Lamborghinis of office chairs. They're more than fifteen hundred bucks a piece. Vancouver drivers, when we're taking a look at how much it costs to get around on these streets, Vancouver drivers already pay some of the highest gas taxes in all of the country at 51 cents per liter. Every single time you fill up a minivan, for example, it costs you an extra 35 bucks in taxes. Then there's the parking fees and the taxes on top of the parking fees. And people pay a transit tax actually on top of their property taxes in Metro Vancouver.
0: I'm glad you're bringing up these, uh, these driving cost increases in Vancouver because Alberta drivers are going to have to brace for impact pretty soon here as well. And that's because we're hearing our provincial government um, introducing legislation to allow for toll roads as well. But it seems like it's going to be a little bit different out in Alberta because the government is saying that the tolls will only be for new roads and bridges, and that all that money will only go to fund the new infrastructure. And, you know, we're hearing a lot of smart people, a lot of eggheads (laughs) who's saying that that could be a smart way to fund new infrastructure. Okay, okay, I hear you. But here's the thing. Taxpayers don't need politicians taking any more of our money. So, taxpayers are rightly skeptical of this out in Alberta. And I tell you what, let me issue a little bit of a warning to the Alberta government. There better be some real strong guardrails around these tolls. Because if we find out that a single penny from these tolls are going to government revenue or government general revenue or are being collected after the roads are already paid for, well, then the government is going to have a big old scrap on its hands.
1: Yeah, definitely keep an eye on that. Uh, here in BC, they built what's called the Coquihalla Highway. It goes from uh, the Hope area all the way up uh, to Col- to Kamloops and over across to Kelowna. They had tolls on it for a long time. And according to the books, it looks like they lifted the tolls just as it was finished being paid for. But it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And when you look at the federal scene, driving ain't cheap there either. Trudeau was already hammering Canadians with his First carbon tax, and get this, he's getting ready to layer on top a big second carbon tax. In July, the city of Toronto actually started using automated speeding cameras to ding drivers left, right, and center. And in Quebec, they're thinking about adding a kilometer tax that could be as high as 15 cents per kilometer. And just as they're thinking about in Metro Vancouver, they're thinking about installing tracking devices in your car to see where you're going and when so they can tax you.
0: Oh, you know, (laughs) it should be painfully obvious to politicians by now that taxpayers are tapped out. And, uh, you know, for our Vancouver listeners out there, we do have a petition. Uh, So please go and sign that to stop the toll roads. And we're going to include a link to the petition in the show notes. And Simmer, you also mentioned Trudeau's second carbon tax. Well, we're also going to include a link in our show notes to an interview I did with the head of Canadians for Affordable Energy on Trudeau's second carbon tax. That was a real good deep dive, so make sure to listen to that. And don't worry, we're going to keep fighting these politicians that want to keep reaching deeper and deeper into our pockets. Speaking of which, let's check in with our federal director about potential new Netflix taxes.
2: This is Deep Dive, the part of the show where we dive deeper into important issues of the day. Today, we're talking about the federal government's bill, C-10, that could mean higher costs for Canadians who subscribe to services like Netflix. Joining me to discuss the topic today is Aaron Woodrick, our federal director. So, Aaron, what's this bill all about?
3: Maybe, Jasmine, we can start with this clip from the prime minister from way back in 2017. We're not raising taxes on the middle class. We're lowering them. Uh, We are not uh, going to be uh, raising taxes uh, on the middle class uh, through uh, 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 an internet uh, broadband tax. That is not an idea uh, that we are taking on. We're going to focus on uh, lowering taxes for the middle class, as we always have. Now, obviously, that clip is full of a bunch of nose stretchers. And unless you've been under a rock for the last few years, you'll know the Trudeau government has obviously been raising taxes on most Canadians everything from payroll taxes to alcohol taxes, to the carbon tax, many others. But in this case, they specifically promised not to introduce this Netflix tax, and yet they've gone right ahead and broken that promise.
2: So, Aaron, let's get to the heart of the bill. What does it do?
3: Basically, if this bill becomes law, there's a government agency known as the Canadian Radio Telecommunications Commission, the CRTC, that will have the power to force streaming services like Netflix to pay into a special fund, That would create Canadian content. And that, of course, is going to mean bigger bills for Canadians.
2: Now, some people will know that in Canada here, we have some really strange rules about cultural content that the federal government gives subsidies for, quote unquote, approved Canadian music, films, TV shows, etc. So is this just an extension of that?
3: Yes, it really is. But what makes it especially weird is that they're trying to apply a bunch of rules from essentially the 1960s to 2020, and they really don't make any sense anymore. Uh, And in fact, when you step back even further, it's not even really clear what the problem is that they're trying to solve with this bill.
2: So how is this different than the policies that subsidize cultural content?
3: Well, there's a couple of things that are different. First of all, if you go back again, 50 or 60 years, the main argument we had for carving out space for Canadian content was there was a limited space on things like TV. You only had a few channels. You had to reserve some of that space for Canadian stuff. Otherwise we would just get overwhelmed with American culture from south of the border. But of course you fast forward to today, we live in the era of the internet there's an infinite amount of space for cultural content. It's an unlimited amount for for all people, not just for Canadians. And so that idea that there, we need to reserve space from a limited amount is just gone now. And, and secondly, most importantly, I think a lot of people may not realize this, but Netflix alone is already spending hundreds of millions of dollars right here in Canada on TV and film production to make Canadian content.
2: All right. Hundreds of millions of dollars is a lot of money. So why do we need legislation to force Netflix to make more Canadian content if they're already doing this voluntarily?
3: That's an excellent question for the Trudeau government and for the heritage minister, Stephen Guibault in particular. You have a company here that has has voluntarily in its own interest spent almost half a billion dollars to make Canadian TV and film production. And remember, these are things that they want people to watch. They would not make them if they didn't think their customers wanted to see them. This is a big success story. This is a boon for Canadian film and TV production. And yet the government seems to be approaching it like this is some kind of problem that needs fixing. And really what this policy runs the risk of doing is having Netflix take some of the money out of the pool they were going to spend on content people want to watch and give it to the government so that they can dole out it out to groups to make content that people aren't interested in watching. And that seems like a really strange way to improve your cultural output. Uh, and if Netflix doesn't do that, the other thing they might do is just look at passing the cost on to customers. So that means that you as a customer are going to be forced to pay more for content you do want to watch in order to subsidize the content that you don't want to watch.
2: All right, that seems pretty backward even by Ottawa standards. So Why are they doing this?
3: The short answer is there is an arts lobby in this country, a whole cottage industry of groups that survive almost entirely on government subsidies. These are groups that don't care about pleasing a customer. And so instead they try and please the government. And they do that to get subsidies out of government. And again, it just seems like a really strange way to improve your cultural output you would think that uh, artists, they're all about free expression and artistic license. They're, the last thing that they should be associated with is sort of government approval. And yet that is what they are demanding here. They are demanding that cultural output in this country be regulated by government so that they stand to be the beneficiaries.
2: So to play the devil's advocate, then what would you say to people who argue that cultural content isn't about making money?
3: <laughs> I would say if that's the case, then why are the people uh, who are producing it asking to be paid to make it?
2: Fair enough. Okay. Clearly this is a terrible bill. Is it going to pass?
3: I would say there is a good chance that it will pass even though it's a minority uh, parliament because there's no obvious party speaking out against it. It's just another in a series of very poorly thought out policies that will probably end up backfiring badly, hurt a lot more than it helps and to boot cost taxpayers money. I think the sentiment that people have when they look at big tech companies like Netflix and think, well, they're doing really well. So why do we make them pay more? But they have to realize that a lot of the spending that companies like Netflix do is voluntary. And so if they get hit with higher taxes, they can either just pass it on to a customers or they can cut back on it in order to fulfill their obligations to pay the government. So that really doesn't leave any of us better off. Sales taxes are another good example. Right now, you're not charged sales tax on your Netflix subscription, but going forward, you will be. Netflix is not the one paying that tax. You as a customer are paying that tax.
2: This just sounds like a strange solution to a non-existent problem.
3: It really is. And just generally, it's very ridiculous for a government to think that it's either possible or desirable to regulate what people are watching on TV. And just paying more money and getting less for it is generally a losing proposition for most people.
2: No kidding. And the last thing people need right now is higher taxes. But really, you'd think that the government would have more important things to do right now than to meddle with what people are watching on Netflix. It's time for Waste Watch. This is when we
4: make
1: fun of the dumb things that governments are wasting your money on. So James, hit me. What have you got for us today?
4: So you remember back in June when we found out that it cost just over 56 grand for the RCMP to protect Meghan Markle and Prince Harry during their Canadian stay. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out the bill is going up by $35,819 or 65%. It's it's up to just past $93,000 and counting.
1: Okay, what do you mean by and counting though? Is this going to keep going up?
4: Yep, well that's the thing. The RCMP would only give me the costs for things like overtime and travel and meals and accommodations, basically just the extra stuff, nothing about officer salaries who are involved in this protection and nothing about supporting unit costs, which could could take this amount very, very high and very, very quickly
1: yeah I reckon the final number will be a lot bigger than ninety three grand. This spending was kept real quiet for real long. The bills were piling up, even as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was refusing to say whether or not Canadian taxpayers were paying the tab for this royal couple while they were in Canada.
4: yeah I mean, it took a long time for the feds to say anything about this like it was it was silly. A record show the spending starting in November, and it took until january twenty first for Public Safety Minister Bill Blair to say that, oh, no, we're not paying for the payer security tab. But then he changed his tune in February saying, yes, oh, by the way, we had been paying for them and that will end very, very soon. Don't worry about it.
1: See, this is where it gets weird. While politicians were playing badminton with this issue, Canadians were not amused. Now, to be clear, Prince Harry is sixth in line to the throne of succession. He did serve in the armed forces for the UK, lots of Canadians have a lot of love for this couple, for Meghan and Harry. And a lot of them have a lot of affection for both Harry and his brother, Prince William. I know I do. Uh, In fact, I know most Canadians do. We often remember their mom getting married and we remember seeing them at their mother's funeral. So they're special to many Canadians. But here's the thing, that doesn't mean that average hardworking taxpayers should be picking up the tab for the lifestyles of Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan. They're rich and famous, okay? And more than 80,000 Canadians signed our petition telling the Prime Minister to welcome the couple, to be nice to them, but not to pay for their costs with taxpayers' money. And that petition got people's attention from London to Australia.
4: It did, and I'm sure the new information will get their attention as well. Even the RCMP were concerned about the Sussex costs. Like, this is a quote from Bernadine Chapman, and she's the RCMP's National Division Commanding Officer, and she was writing this in early January. Quote, Media is on this like a hot potato. So lots of coverage of the potential of the Royals to spend half their time in Canada now as an independent couple. Media spin is about the cost to Canadians. We are having a greater conversation next week. I'm going to go forward on this this has potential to cost us huge. And she added an exclamation point at the end of that, just to add emphasis.
1: She sure did. Now, does the RCMP have any plans to recoup this money?
4: So after I got these new costs, I asked them again, because I asked the same question back in June, I asked them if they're going to try and get the money back and they didn't really get into it all they would say is that security costs were covered by their operational budget. Okay. They also refused to say if Megan and Harry would get any RCMP protection in future in the event they had North from LA where they've landed. So.
1: Yes, and they seem to be enjoying themselves there. And I want to be clear, uh, when they first made their departure from the royal family, from their official duties, they said that they wanted to be financially independent. So this isn't on them. This is frankly on Prime Minister Trudeau to come up with some answers here. Mm. In the meantime, we're bracing for the fact that the bill is only going to grow as we get more and more light shed on it.
4: There's no other way for this bill to go but up. And I've got tip spending that should hopefully get us more information about what's going on. And we'll have more on this as we get that information.
1: We're going to stick with it.
0: All right. That's the show. And I got to give a huge thank you to our investigative journalist and our podcast editor, James Wood or Jimbo, as I like to call him. Cause he's <laughs> out there making us sound like uh, we at least kind of know what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. He's a master editor. Thank you so much for that. And Hey, if you got something out of this podcast and you know, somebody that would also like it, please send it their way and be sure to subscribe. Catch you next week.
3: Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, president of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favour and do them a favour and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.